I love movies. Thank you very much. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. You saw the th- the picture of uh, Trump's head on Thanos's body. Yeah, and he, and, yeah, and, yeah, and he's the supervillain, and he's snapping and making everybody disappear. Well, but, no, no. So, 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 like, I mean, as I understand it, I guess the the Trump campaign or some of his advisors or something decided that it was a good idea to put Trump's head on Thanos's body from Avengers Endgame, with the with the the phrasing "I am inevitable." At the bottom. Good God. Completely tone deaf <laughs> to the irony that they are putting their head, his head, on the body of a megalomaniac who's responsible for half the deaths in the universe. He's the villain. Well, I do get the sense that Trump and his ilk do kind of feel like maybe half the people on the planet aren't as important as... The brown half, <laughs> I think, is more the to the point. brown half, the liberal half, the... Anybody Gay that's half, not the what female half. Anybody that's not whatever that base is dwindled down to at this point. What you've got the the deep state conspiracy theorists. You've got the racists. He loves those guys. Yeah, right. Oh, you've yeah, got uh, the the evangelists, the right wing evangelists. Oh, of course, yeah, yep, yep. I guess I guess it's still every Republican, every single as long one as, of them. As, as long as they fall in step, I think. yeah. You know? So he would like to snap and and just get rid of the bad half. You know, the the people who think he. Uh, is is uh you know what he is a fake uh, reality TV star that's that's not a billionaire and you know the, the people who kind of don't believe the Trump narrative uh, I think he yeah, would like right. to sort of snap them away. Um, well, I think I think you know, Map. Some people might be kind of confused. I think they might be thinking they're listening to the Tired of Winning podcast or the Gerbils Gerbils podcast or even the Regrettable Century podcast. <laughs> but no, no, it's no need to change the dial, guys. You are in fact listening to the the Grindhouse podcast, and we didn't really want to do the intro today because, frankly, like we're already talking, and it was just it was just flowing, and Matt and I are both pretty tired. So we're, we're um, tired of politics. We're tired of lots. We're of all, also tired from drinking and being out. On well, Saturday night, you. but uh, what, what, what I, you weren't out well, last night? I, thought well, you were. I, I went to I went to a movie and I and I had a couple of martinis. I you, I guess yeah, I drank, you're living it up on, in Utah, man. You're having that Utah nightlife. Uh, yeah, no, I, I my my hotel is literally in a shopping mall. Yeah, <laughs> like everything shuts out at like nine, and plus, let's be honest. So Utah has got some strange drinking rules. It's not exactly the hub of nightlife out here. Not that I would have the energy for it anyway with shooting. Yeah, what what is what are the rules? You have to you can only drink out of bottles, uh, only plastic bottles allowed. Weird. Stuff no, like no, it's not quite like that. You have to order food if you order a drink. <laughs> How do they not do they give you? Plastic. Is it like a coffee shop where they give you a biscotti for free with your? Yeah, with your yeah. Drink well, no, you have to order like so. Like at the hotel here, uh, you can get uh, if I so for example, if I were to order a glass of wine, I'd have to order something. So the the, the cheapest item on the menu is like the popcorn. Oh, so you get okay. your popcorn and wine, which is actually not a bad pairing, you know, for any of you, uh, yeah. you wine connoisseurs out there. Uh, but but you can order the bottle of wine without food and take it to your room or just walk around the hotel with it. Yeah, it's like when, when I was in uh, Philadelphia recently, uh, we were staying downtown and gas stations aren't allowed to sell beer. And I didn't know yeah. that. I just I walked for miles just like. I'm sure I can get a six pack. Oh, this place has to have a six pack. It just looks the part, and I'd go in and ah, nothing. And and then uh, later on, Ramona found out that uh, there's actually a log in it. So that's yeah. Well, that's weird, even yeah. you know, even in Texas, I'm sure you don't even think about it. But you know, 
when I moved to California, they serve hard liquor at like Walgreens and CVSs. Yeah, grocery stores. Like you, get, you get hard yeah. liquor anywhere. A lot of places and in the like that. This idea that like in Texas, for those of you who don't know, you can't buy alcohol on Sundays before noon. Yeah, we were talking. Were we talking about that on the show? That was before the show last week when we were chatting. I think right? it was yeah, probably. Yeah, but the, yeah, that never occurred to me because we you grew up in Texas and you're so used to that. It's just well, it's Sunday morning, and you know, I guess that's the Lord's time, so you can't buy alcohol. But uh, I think it was you or Chris brought up the idea that maybe the law oh, was passed. It was yeah, the, the law was passed to prevent women's husbands from being drunk in church. You know, well, it's like, any, anyone for me drunk well, church, yeah, I would assume it would be the, the it men. would be the men, you know, because yeah. that's usually the the way it goes around here, at least in, in Texas. It's like, you know, the guy's kind of into it, but the the wife is super into it, and so I could imagine a, a thing where, yeah, men are going well it's Sunday morning again. I guess I'll have a couple before church so I can at least make it through, and and so the uh, the compromise was to tell the uh, liquor stores and gas stations not to sell it to them on Sunday morning. Right. Try to prevent right. that, you know. And no liquor at all, right? Like you can't go you can't buy yeah. bottled liquor anywhere on Sunday. Yeah, you got to get your liquor before Sunday cuz God don't want no party liquor on his day. Well, see, here's where I disagree with that because if God did not want people to drink, then why would he make his blood taste like wine? That's true. He's got some good ass wine blood. That's what I heard, at least. That's and that's that's the Bible. And Jesus's blood also pairs well with wine, uh, with uh, popcorn. With popcorn, (laughs) (laughs) heat of this popcorn is my body. Yeah, you were telling me that there was more Trump head on things. Oh yeah, yeah. No, Thanos is not the worst thing that the Trump uh, campaign team put his head on this week. Because that's pretty bad. Uh, okay, well, he was he was mad about not becoming uh, Time Magazine's Person of the Year again. Uh, and even when he was Person of the Year, I don't know if you read that article that year in 2016 when he was Time Magazine Person of the Year, but it was not a flattering article. It was no. like, the la- like the worst version of being Person of the Year you could ever get. But who did right, get exactly. a very flattering and cool article was Greta Thunberg, uh, she, the, the activist. And so she was on the cover, and the Trump campaign thought, for some fucking reason, it would be a good idea to go ahead and just put his head on her body. So that's that's out there being pushed around by the Trump campaign. It's it's the Time magazine cover that we've all seen by now, but so on creepy. on the sixteen year old girl's body is Trump's gross orange seventy six year old head, <laughs> just you like know, looking all content. <laughs> it was it was it was bothersome, but ultimately kind of funny when he comped his head. On Rocky Balboa's body, do you remember that? Yeah, he did that. He did that okay. one. Yeah. The the Thanos one was just sort of sad in its tone deafness, or, or maybe a, a complete disregard of caring that Thanos was the villain. But this is a new level of low and eeriness. It's creepy. It's really creepy. It, uh, icky. It started icky out. Would be the term. It started out weird when um, well, who they killed that uh, terrorist, uh, the, the the Navy SEALs or whatever killed that terrorist, and right, and uh, they had a dog with them, and Donald Trump made this weird Photoshop mashup where it was like him putting a medal on the dog, but it wasn't real. Did you see that? That was that was kind no. of the first one I remember Ooh. of Trump making his own Photoshop stuff, and it was just. I'm worried though. Yeah, it, I'm worried because. Because before, you know, Trump just knew how to um, tweet. Uh, now, apparently, someone has taught him Photoshop. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. His, well, his mastery, I mean, probably Excel is next. And I, then we're really in trouble. I, like, I'm pretty good at Photoshop. And I'm, I'm, he does not. You, you're not supposed to be able to tell when someone uses Photoshop. Like, that's Listen, uh, I'm just, he, He's just learning. <laughs> he needs to stop it. But, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. It's like the old, old person that... Uh, 
you know, tries to find her grandson's profile on Facebook and ends up con- just making a post like search for Dave Reyes, you know, and uh, it's sort yeah, of right. similar to that. It's like, that's how he is with the uh, technology. Now he's finding all these new tools and going, Oh, I could do that. Okay. And um, well, it's getting, but it's, but it's his, you know, that's the thing about digital tools is whatever your imagination can make. And apparently now he, he, I, in all fairness, he didn't make the one where his head was on Greta Thunberg's body. But his campaign did, which means yeah, he, I'm, I'm Donald sure Trump. I approve this message, it. you know. So he's yeah, yeah, he saw it and was like, "That's great." That's weird. Yeah, uh, super weird. Uh, well, yeah. I know you guys are wondering, like, what does this have to do with movies? And Matt, you had a really good idea. Oh yeah, you, I don't know if we pulled it off, but we were thinking since there's so much. Well, there was the impeachment this week too. Uh, it's still going yeah, on, yeah, right. Uh, but we just thought, yeah, with so many crazy political things happening right now, we would do like a list, like one of our lists that we do of uh, political films to help you understand these crazy trying times. You know, in these crazy times, we've we've said this a million times, right? With horror, it's it's them reflecting the anxieties of society. But I think broadly speaking, art, good art, holds a mirror up to society, you know? Um, And sometimes society holds a mirror up to art. And I think that what you have in these really strange times where essentially a reality star, a television reality star, is the president of the United States. And the the country is in, in disrest, to put lightly, that we would take a look at some of the films that are out there currently that maybe will help hold a mirror up to today's current political and social political climate. Now, this was a hard one for me because I don't usually like political films. So uh, some of these, I don't usually when we do these things, it's they're kind of like recommendations, but um, I, I, I'm sorry. I I tried my hardest. I ended up at the bar last night, just kind of talking to strangers and saying, Hey, uh, you know, one thing would lead to another. And Oh, actually, while I've got you here, I'm doing a podcast. Can you think of a political film that should go on it? And so I got some, uh, I got some recommendations from people that, are, were, that I don't know, and I don't know if we could trust right. them. So they may have been well, trying listen, to mess with me, but I'm just going to go for it. Listen, as everyone knows, this is the People's Podcast. So what better way than to compile a list brought forth from the people? Yes, from the porch of barflies on airport in, in Austin. Uh, we, we are the, <laughs> the poet lariat of barflies in Austin, Texas. I, it must be an intellectual's place. It's, it's named after a um, – oh, what's his name? Uh, you know uh, – Bukowski. Bukowski. <laughs> I was going to say. Yeah. Is it called Barkowski? Huh? Is it called Barkowski? It's called Barflies. Yeah. Oh, Barflies. Yeah. Oh, okay, so Barflies. Yeah. So there is a bar in Los Angeles called Barkowski. I, that sounds like a dog bar. We have. No, we not ha- Barkowski. Well, that's what it sounds like. Bar- it sounds like Kowski. you could bring your dog there and, and he could play with other dogs. We have that in Austin. We have bars where I'd you could d- bring, you can bring your dog and the servers are part. Wait, waiter dog. server and part uh, part dog that'd be amazing but no that no and then they also have uh, poop bags and 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 oh. you know spray bottles of different cleaners for the waiters they they carry them yeah so it's like oh i thought for or I thought it was for no, the waiters it's like you're bringing out waiters you're like you're bringing out drinks to a table and then on the way back you're picking up a couple of pieces of poop and it's sanitation wise it's concerning well talking about fun. shit yeah. let's, let's get to some of these films that describe <laughs> the shit storm that our political culture is currently Yes, let's do. Why don't you start it uh, off, man? Yeah, so I'm going to start off. So I, this was the obvious one for me because, again, this is kind of a hard list to put together. Um, but it's Avengers Endgame. 
Well, you know, the Avengers Infinity War Endgame hybrid, but I guess maybe even more Infinity War. But, you know, in the sort of fallout of Trump putting his head on Thanos, like there is something there. There's this idea. I mean, I saw people who legitimately thought that Thanos had the right plan. You know, the, the whole the whole sort of motivation behind this villain is this idea that we as a I guess in this instance a universe, but you know, thinking thinking about it a little bit more realistically as a country, have overexpended our resources to the point where we're driving ourselves into um, famine and poverty. So his solution was essentially an ethnic cleansing. Or I guess a in his case it was more of a random It was cleansing. random, yeah. You know, but but the, but you know, you the reason I bring up the term ethnic cleansing is because you see real political people. I mean, not only in the time of Hitler, but even today, who do who present this version of like how do we how do we make America great again? Well, it's you got to get rid of a, a large part of its population, and that's going to like spread the jobs, spread the wealth, spread the resources, et cetera, et cetera. So. From that perspective, in in the sort of shiny garb of a of a superhero film, there is an underlying message of that that, that many people, especially in particularly in the alt right, would expose as a legitimate uh, way to fix some of the perceived issues in our country. Now, now Thanos, his Infinity Gauntlet could do anything, right? And That's and correct, the problem yes. he said was a resource management problem. So why didn't he just? Uh, make some more planets and, and free spaceship tickets to go to those planets and the planets are full of like free food and cool stuff. Why didn't he do that instead? Well, per his logic, because it's a, a temporary fix. You're just simply uh, given enough, a long enough time frame, they also will run out of resources. However, I, I would argue that the flaw in his problem is that if you cut the population of the universe in half, a long, a long enough timeline they will also overpopulate. Yeah, Thanos is dumb. He he's, he's an idiot. a total Much, idiot. And and, and all the more reason why maybe the Trump head on Thanos's body is perfectly appropriate. Yeah. Well, it was a dumb thing to make for sure. But uh, we we also don't speak Trump. I feel like Trump's base when they see stuff like that, they get this hell yeah moment, and uh, they're pretty good at, at, at invigorating and, and motivating their base with just. Stuff that just to us. I mean, do, do you remember the Trump girls? The or no. what, what were they called? The Freedom Girls or something? You don't remember that? No, I have. Uh, no it that. was uh, three little white girls uh, singing the most cornbread weird song you've ever heard about how Donald Trump's going to save America. They ended up suing him. He didn't pay them and um, got yeah, he, so a lawsuit did did occur. But uh, is it ironic? Is it ironic that that if if Trump and his support group view him as Thanos? as inevitable, right, as the savior of the universe with his cutthroat policies, that Thanos gets his ass kicked by Captain America. That's right. So be ready for that, Trump and the army of the deplorables. Captain America and the Avengers are going to <laughs> come and get you. Assemble, assemble <laughs> all over your ass. They're going to assemble. All right, your okay. turn, Matt. Um, okay, so I... There was a certain term that kept coming up during the impeachment trials. I, I listened to like the whole thing, man. It was not good. I'm not. I'm not okay right now. All right. I I shouldn't have listened, but I did. But the the Republicans kept using this term, kangaroo court. It's like a way to describe a, an unofficial court 
with no real a sham. Well, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it's just it's you know cowboy justice. It's the only way to, to you know to take care of that sheep wrestler, rustler, sheep wrestler, who uh, the, the the horse, the horse you know, thief, or what you know. Kangaroo this, courts are like it's. This feels like this originated in Australia. We should definitely pitch this to uh, Mr. Sophia to maybe answer yeah, what a kangaroo court is. She would that, know. That is where kangaroos come from. So yeah, she might know more about the origin of this term, but. <laughs> the first place I ever heard it was in a John Waters film called Pink Flamingos, which oh, uh, is a famous movie. movie. Uh, it was actually in theaters. It's it, for 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 all the stuff that goes on in it. Uh, it's it's amazing that it made it into theaters and had mainstream televised commercials back in the seventies. But it, it's a uh, John Waters and and Divine, the the famous drag queen, and uh, Divine finds um, is is declared the. Divine is declared the filthiest person alive. It oh. gets published in the like some punk rock zine or something, and but it, but it goes out to certain communities. And well, Connie and Raven, Connie and Raymond Marbles, two uh, kidnapper baby retailers. I guess they sell babies. They make babies and they sell babies. It's a it's a weird That's thing. They've got a dungeon full of uh, kidnapped women and a. And a I practice making babies in Dungeons. Yeah, and they've got this weird gay guy that uh, impregnates them, and then um, they sell the babies. And, and But they believe that they are the filthiest person alive, and so a campaign begins, kind of like a, what we're about to go into, an election campaign of sorts. This Who is the filthiest fantastic. person alive? Is it Divine, or is it Connie and Raven? Raymond? I keep calling it Rayburn. Connie and Raymond Marbles. And... Um, and so you get to watch all their adventures as, as they, they try to outdo each other in this crazy war of uh, public opinion. And um, the j- justice does get served in what is uh, described as a kangaroo court in the end. And so uh, so maybe you'll, if you're a Trump supporter and you're really shaking your head, at, I doubt we have many listeners that are Trump supporters, but if we do, we welcome you. And uh, well, if you're shaking now. your head at this crazy clown show trial uh then watch uh, pink flamingos and, and maybe you'll see some similarities in there uh and, and maybe you'll actually uh, also expand your horizon about um uh s- some of the uh, alternative sexualities of the world you get to see a lot of a lot of strange things there's a dancing butthole dave in the film oh. and you're probably imagining this is like a cartoon or a puppet but it's not it's a real man's asshole with a camera right up to it and it dances and it's impressive well, for any people who dare to watch the news, they'll be seeing lots of dancing assholes over the next few months as we lead into November. So <laughs> I think I, this is a great selection, and I think it's perfectly appropriate. If you're trying to understand American politics today, no better place to start than with a dancing asshole. <laughs> All right. Well, what have you got for the, the next film? Well, I think... <laughs> You know, I think from there, I think you've got to go to, uh, the, you know, let's see. Let's see what order I want to do this in. I think, okay, we're talking about elections, right? So I'm, I'm just hopping around my order a little bit. Um, I'm going to go with a TV show, uh, a season of a TV show. In fact, I would argue the last good season of this TV show, and that is American Horror Stories Cult. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, yeah, so it, it takes place, starts on the night, on election night 2016. You have Evan Peters as an as a edge lord, incel, Trump supporter. He's so excited when he hears that Trump wins. He takes a, a bunch of Cheetos and he blends them up and he rubs it on his face, non-ironically. Yeah, that was amazing. Uh, as, as he masturbates towards the television, I think. And then 
I'm mean, not to interrupt, but Evan Peters, he, I, that scene, I really remember. He, he blends up the Cheetos and rubs it all over his face. But is that, yeah. does that have anything to do with your? Because I've only ever heard you say Cheeto fingers when you talk about <laughs> alt right people, and is that based on? Does uh, it come from that? N- no, it pre it predates that scene. And in fact, I would. Well, it's so hard to. It's hard, so hard to say where the origin of that scene originates from, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, because people have made Cheeto jokes about Trump forever, so I think that's probably yeah, more Cheeto in line with it, Jesus. No. I hear that Cheeto. one a lot because it's, it's fo- he has like yeah, a messiah look, complex with his followers, his cult members. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look, I think I think that you, when you think of when you think of sort of the um, the, the the what what was the term you used to use? Uh, lummoxes, you know, knuckle draggers. Uh, losers. Okay. All right. <laughs> you just think of just think of kids, out of shape, neck beard, mouth breathers, dragging their knuckles along, sitting in their mom's basement, unemployed, eating Cheetos and Mountain Dew, just paying the picture. And, and man. Evan Peters in, in, in American f- Horror Story Cult kind of becomes their their uh, you know their their spokesperson in a way. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, you know, on the opposite of Evan Peters in his elatement of Trump's uh, presidency, you have um, you have Sarah Paulson and playing a lesbian lover with Addison Pill, who uh, and and in particular Sarah Paulson, when she sees the news, she like breaks down like in this massive panic attack. She's just crying like, "What are we gonna do?" Like there's a, like a real sense of fear and like this sort of collection of like neoliberals and like. Watching election night, so you see, so the, the the whole season starts off with this dichotomy between like what you imagine are the basement dwelling incels on 4chan celebrating the Trump uh, candidate election, and you know the affluent, predominantly white, you know neo libs who are having this like massive like breakdown uh, over his election, and and you know throughout the story, there's some other random like clown stuff and and things of that nature but like one of the things that i loved about that season was this massive argument that that happens between Addison pill and sarah paulson you know they're playing they play a married couple uh when it's revealed that sarah paulson voted for jill stein she didn't oh that's right i remember that yeah do you remember that like it causes like this massive rift between them like to, to like absurd levels so i just found sort of the irony of everything so like just dripping and gooey and really really taking the piss out of both both sides of the argument in a lot of ways uh, in the way that we treat politics and the way and how cultish it has become sort of the us versus them mentality well that was a great season i there's so many memorable scenes from that season i think of Chaz Bono sawing off his own hand so that he can make it to the election to vote for Donald Trump Chaz yeah Chaz <laughs> Bono incredible. As a hardcore Trump supporter, willing to saw his yeah. hand off, right? Because he's he's like chain, he's uh, what, handcuffed to some radiator in a basement or something. He can't get out on election right. night, so he just saws his hand off to go vote for Trump. That was incredible. Yeah, it's totally um, insane. And then, totally but also uh, very cool. It almost parallels Trump's own rise in a way because like, um, Evan Peters' character, the, the cult leader. He's so inspired by what Donald Trump has done that he decides to run for local government. And he, he kind of gets yeah, made right. fun of by the council. And um, 
he so that that's sort of where the chip on his shoulder that starts his own i'm gonna start a cult i'm gonna get something going my way and it reminds me of uh right. donald trump at the what is that the, the news correspondence dinner what you know what i'm talking about that thing that they do uh what do they call that yeah, thing? yeah, yeah I don't, it's not called that but it's that and there's that that great well, white, white house correspondence i think so dinner, yeah think. And, and there's that great clip of uh barack obama just blasting Donald Trump and everybody's laughing at Donald Trump and he's the only one not laughing in the whole room. You know, he he starts out kind of shaking his head like a good sport, but it just goes on and on and Obama's just riffing on him like, hey, Donald Trump, don't worry, I wasn't born in America and blah, 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 and just making fun of him over and over. And the whole room is just laughing their asses off as Trump just sits there all orange-faced and angry. Little little redder orange this time. And... Um, and and it, it, I don't know. I sometimes I, I do wonder: Is this man actually trying to get revenge on us for that moment? We've we've laughed at him for a I long time, that, you know. That, well, I think I think that there is a contingent of Americans who, you know, I, I make the Cheeto fingers joke a lot, right? But there's a contingent of Americans who are real losers, and rather than change, make changes in their lives to not be losers. They get angry and they suppress that anger and they blame other people for it, for their own you know, shortcomings. And I think like Trump is like – he's like the spokesperson for that. You know, he's got small hands. You know, he's got – he's balding. He's got this stupid comb over that everyone knows is a comb over. He, he just looks like the picture of unhealth. I mean he, he was given money upon money upon money and he's, he's pissed most of it away. So when you look at it from that perspective, he's like – King Koopa loser and I think the other losers sort of fall in line with that and like it's like it, it, much like American Horror Story Cole where with Evan Peters character they they find this sort of um, this avatar for their for their frustration and their anger to get behind and rally behind and show support in a feverish manner for because it's like findy these like these guys that like girls don't want to talk to, that don't have any money, that can't get their own life together, that or or in many ways are the byproduct of the very the very society that they so feverishly revere as yeah. America. You know, they like they, this is like their chance, like get I, you it know, back. I, like this I, one's I do ours. take issue with the calling of uh, the base of Trump losers and that because I, I I don't know I well I grew well, up in, I, I grew up well, in the eighties watching films where uh, you know at the end the. Um, authoritarian principal or football coach. He, he shows up at the rec center when they're having the big breakdancing fundraiser. And, and, you know, he shows up in a tracksuit and he's, he's come around, he's in a rap now too. And he breakdances with the kids and they're like, yay. And, and so I, I don't know. I'm always like, Hey, people can change, man. People, you know, they don't have to, you don't so just label people. People losers can 100% and, oh, change, you know. of course. But, 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 but listen, people can hundred percent change. This is kind of the crux of my argument. They can of course change, but they have to make a change to change. And if they don't, they're losers. Like, for example, if you're the stinky kid in class, right? Okay? You're the stinky kid in class. You just, for whatever reason, you don't shower. It's not your thing. You'd rather sit up and play Nintendo 64 and drink your Red Alert Mountain Dew or whatever it is that you're doing. Um, yeah, you can change, but you got to go bathe first. Okay, one, one more try to just change your heart a little bit. Now... Tammy Faye, mine is a black heart, <laughs> Mine too, but but that's okay. Uh, Tammy Faye Baker was Jim Baker's wife. They were two of the most conservative Christian evangelist yes. people in the eighties. They were famous. They were corrupt. They were all the stuff that we know about Christian evangelists. They 
they got caught. They had troubles. They were legal troubles. Now, Tammy Faye was known for her large hair and wild makeup. The drag queen community was really inspired by the way she did her makeup. And so they started using her as a bit of an icon for their whole scene. When she found that out, she started meeting these people and getting to know them. And she ended up becoming a very open-minded woman that uh, was, was very accepting and, and, and just, just a real sweetheart in the end. She was just a gem. But I'm saying she was ridiculed for her closed-mindedness. Yeah. Why we're having this discussion is because she made the change and became open-minded. Everyone can change, but until you change, you're still Cheeto Finger. Oh, I, I, man. Just saying. <laughs> Just saying. All right. All right. Next, next movie. Uh, next movie I have is um, one that was recommended by a really drunk guy last night, but he had a good point. This is a, this is a cool movie. It's a cool movie. It's not one of my favorites, but it's called Wag the Dog. You remember that movie? Uh, it's yeah, got uh, well, who all's in it? Uh, Robert De Niro's in it. Uh, I don't know if Thornton's in it. Um, Dustin Hoffman. I do remember he's in it. There's a, a pretty good cast, uh, like kind of an impressive cast. But it's the one where they fake a war to get a president reelected, and oh, okay. they, it's really cool. It just shows how all, all those aspects of uh, like there's a part where um, uh, one of the president's uh, advisors, part of this team that's faking the war. She uh, says you know, to her husband, "Is there was there ever like an old blues song about uh, uh, something like a shoe or something?" And he goes, I, "I don't know. I don't maybe." And because there's a fake war hero that they've made up that's called his last name Shoe. You know, because they, they, they always do this kind of stuff. They have ah, when you have gotcha. like a war and you've got to get the hearts and minds of the public. You have your heroes that you promote in the media. You have the stories. And so they even record, they hire a contemporary artist uh, to secretly record a fake blues song to pretend that it came out in the 40s that about a trusty old shoe so that they can have a song to go with this fake war hero for their fake war because presidents do better uh, to get elected if they're elected during, re-elected during wartime. Right. And it's, um, it, I bring it up because I, we, we are in a uh, place right now where I mentioned earlier the deep state conspiracy theorists, the people who believe that Donald Trump is some kind of freedom fighter that's fighting against the, the deep state corruption that really controls things. And he's the one man that put his billions aside so that he could step up and save America. And people really believe that stuff. And I, I think this this film actually, Wag the Dog, I, I remember my... Um, my economics teacher in high school showing us a DVD series called The Clinton Chronicles about all the murders the Clintons had made. I, I think it might have been some early Infowars, like some deep tracks Infowars stuff, actually. But uh, right. you know, he would he would turn it off and say like, "How about that, huh? You know, your president uh, he sells teenage girls to Mexicans." And blah, blah. but um, point is that uh, he used to say he used to go wag the dogs for real. By the way, he would say that wag the dogs for real. And uh, that's the name of the film, Wag the Dog. I don't know if I mentioned it, but like, it's um, it's something. I think that that film actually may have been one of the ones m- more so than uh, Mel Gibson's conspiracy theory. I, I think that the Wag the Dog might have been one that really got people to start doing this whole. Uh, I'm going to investigate for myself over the internet, and I'm going to you know because that, that that distrust, you know, the 9/11 was an inside job. Sure, uh, sure. Sandy well, Hook look, stuff is fake. I mean, false flag. I, I guess it's the first real cinematic example of a false flag, and I think it. I don't know. I think it inspired is, a lot. The problem is, is that there is historical evidence to say that we have faked things often as a country. Like, uh, you look at the. Um, oh shit! I'd have to look this up. Oh boy. 
I feel like our guest from last um, week is going, just shaking his head right now, just going, "What?" I, don't I know. know. Yeah, really. Anyways, <laughs> we do get more speed dial next time we record my, a show. Yeah, exactly. Well, my my point being is that there is a historical there's there is historical evidence to prove that as a country and as all countries do, uh, the the usage of false information to justify wars, especially for political advantage, is is not fictional. You know, I mean, if you look at um, I'll give you a great example. Rahm Emanuel, who was President Obama's chief of staff for a moment, he he famously said, "Never let a good crisis go to waste." So, like, you know, I know we're we're dumping on Republicans, but make no mistake, Democrats are have you know employed the same technique often. And in fact, I think you know, yeah, I mean, this is a real thing that occurs. I think uh, when a lot of people saw that film, Wag the Dog, I, I don't maybe it wasn't as, as significant as I think, but I remember a lot of people for a, a few years at least using that term that which they'd probably never used before, and um, that's probably true. You know, the dog doesn't wag the tail; the tail wags the dog, and uh, it did. It did seem uh, like it got a lot of people. Um, it, it registered with a, a doubtful kind of worldview that a lot of people were already kind of nurturing, and it, it helped it bloom into something. I, I don't think there would be Alex Jones today if there wasn't Wag the Dog back in the nineties. Very possible. Very possible. Well, I made comments about Cheeto fingers and mouth breathers earlier, and I'm sure there are a few of you guys who are like, but but Dave, you like the Joker. And so that's the next on my list, uh-huh. which is Joker. And it is ironic because if you look at Arthur Fleck from Joker, he certainly seems to check a lot of the boxes uh, that I would that I would sort of, you know, use to describe these sort of, you know, basement dwellers. But I here's and here's where I think it's important. You know, I'm making broad generalizations for Huber, but this is where, in truth, nuance is really important. And maybe this actually talks goes to a little bit of what you're talking about, Matt, which is that I think it's very easy for us to look at people and to assume them less than human, even on a subconscious level, because of things that may not may or may not be within their control. And so even even as I might have a disdain for these sort of 4chan incels, I do think that there's something to be said for the the sort of American political system creating an environment that leads these people to this position, which opens them up to pretty bad ideals to get rooted in, you know? A lot of these people are dealing with poverty. You know, a lot of these people, have they lose their jobs to automation and... Corporations taking advantage of tax credits and then going moving their factory to the next place, and you know, people don't often. Most people don't choose to be poor or desolate or or you know, whatever that may be, or uneducated. Even it's the system that is failing them. And so I think that like, you know, there was a big a bit of controversy that that Todd Phillips was nominated for a Golden Globe Best Director, and I, I think I think there's a lot of like you know neoliberal americans who are really like offended that this film that could possibly show that capitalist society may somehow have some role to play over these sort of violent characters but i think there's some truth to that i think that it's an ugly reflection of america that people don't really want to accept yeah well yeah yeah i could see that um i think uh Specifically in our in our country, what what's kind of a little different than the situation we're in versus the Joker, is um, the, the, there's been a change in the dynamic. Uh, in, in the setting the Joker takes place, in the time the time setting it takes place in, it may have been more appropriate. But lately, 
it's not really the cities that are the poor places. The the, the, the downtown metropolis. Well, you clearly the, do not live the in downtown Los Angeles, metropolis sir. area that the Joker takes place in would be full of uh, really nice coffee shops and uh, boutiques and and, and uh, designer clothing stores, office buildings, and um, really nice condos in in today's world. Whereas the people that are, would should should relate more to the Joker's kind of um, it, it, you know income inequality dynamic would be in our uh, rural areas, in our small towns here in America. I would say ha- that's that's half true. And, I, and only because I'll say this, like at least speaking for Los Angeles proper, right? You're right. There's areas of downtown that have absolutely got Whole Foods and three Starbucks on, you know, adjoining corners and, you know, whatever, you know, lime scoot, bird scooters and all that jazz. But like in downtown Los Angeles, there's 40,000 homeless people, right? There are, there are a, a, in a ratio of filled apartments to unemptied apartments, it's two to one. Oh so wow! Two thirds yeah. of all the homesteads in Los Angeles are currently sitting unoccupied, while there are forty thousand people living on the streets. Well, I yeah, you may be right. I, I sure would though like to see a, a two thousand nineteen version of that story where uh, the Joker drives a pickup truck and. Lives in a little, you know, a li- little duplex in a small town in Texas, and uh, he's uh, having to drive forty-five minutes just to get his his uh, medicine, and 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 it's go- prices going up more and more, and he's having to stand in a long hour-long line at the Walmart to pick up his prescriptions, and uh, the you know getting pulled over by the, the the sheriff for having his registration out, and he's getting you know just things are getting tougher and tougher, and the heat's turning up, and they closed down the Home Depot, so he's lost his job, and uh, he's just uh, somehow turns into uh, that that version of a Joker. I I, hey, I don't know. Maybe there'd be something there. <laughs> there's probably a story there. There's probably a story that to, to, to use horror or whatever it may be to uh, or cinema in general to store to, to tell the plight of. The, the rural person because I do think that if depending on which way you would like to see these elections results go I think that you can't totally dismiss people who live in you know what, what they call the rust belt and the rural areas and you know people who are really impacted by capitalism and American politics and, and, and foreign policy and how it's affected their daily lives. That's a good point you make, and it, and it certainly is part of uh, this whole situation. It, it, it's it's part of it. There's a lot of act, uh, factors that go into it, but this does remind me of something that David Cross said. He wrote this book called I Drink for a Reason, and he had this quote in there. It's, well, I, I can't quote it because I don't have it with me, but it was just something along the lines of, uh, you know, do you think major metropolitan cities like Austin and San Francisco are thriving uh, in spite of their acceptance of homosexual and culture or because of it? Uh, you know what I mean? It's like... Um, it's because of it, of course. Yes, yeah, because of it. Yeah, and, and so it, that, there is an issue where the the communities you're talking about are they're just not accepting enough. I'm just saying, don't. There deny is the f- a film from the '70s, a Roger Corman film, similar to the Thanos okay. solution. They found a way to make a resource out of all these middle America flyover state people by having a giant race across America. That the race is not just speed based, but there's also a point system. And so, if you want to get the most points. You're going to want to run over as many of these people as you can. And I'm talking about Roger Corman's Death Race 2000, starring David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone, a film in which 
the world's most famous race happens every um, year, every four years. I can't remember that, but it's happening in the year 2000. And Frankenstein and Machine Gun Joe and all the crew are going to race across America, and they've got bodies to hit and points to rack up. Old people are worth the most. Babies are worth even more. So uh, they're, they're, it's, a, it's a crazy film, but it's like it's just this idea that you know we could get to a place where What's pr- and what probably is a pretty liberal, actually, government, uh, or at least left-wing government, kind of decides these uh, flyover state people are, are not really worth much and employment's not great, but they can really drive the economy up every year with this death race event, which draws in tourism and, and, and merchandise right. and uh, pay-per-view rights and, and all kinds of stuff. I mean, the whole economy just gets a big boost. It's like having your own little kind of like a economic boost that you get from war sometimes. It's like a yeah, fabricated of version of that. And it's the Colosseum. It, yes, it's sort of, but not, not, but every, the audience is at risk as well in this version. So, uh, so, so Frankenstein, David Carradine is probably the most famous one. He's he's maybe more machine than man at this point. He's been in so many car accidents, but he's a he's a famous driver. Um, he's he's a mysterious sort of monstrous fellow that you you never see his face, but then you find out as the movie goes on that. Frankenstein is actually an activist of sorts and he does not believe in the death race. He just has to compete in it every time. But he has little Mm. ways of running over the right people. You know, the people who, for example, when a uh, nursing home puts all those valuable senior citizens out on the road for Frankenstein to hit as he's coming through, he takes a little off-road detour and runs over all of the staff instead, uh, saving the right, folks. Right. So he's, he's kind of that way, and he, but he's got this plan to take down the evil president and his evil regime. And uh, But man, it's a, it's a really fun movie. I suppose it's, I mean, it's definitely political. I don't know. It's Roger Corman who was like openly known for making exploitation films. So I don't know if I would say it was something that where Corman thought he was going to really get the message out there about anything. I don't know if it even relates to any real world messages at all, but it's a pretty fun exploitation film. It's a bit, got some horror aspects, got some action aspects, uh, some comedy. And uh, like all Roger Corman films, it's kind of filmed on that sort of B budget movie uh, aspect. And it's, it's uh, just a lot of fun to watch. So if you haven't seen, there is a death. There are more death race movies. They remade the thing in like uh, a few years back. And, right? Huh? It, wasn't that was it Sylvester Stallone one of them? Or? He was in the original one. A very young oh, young original, Stallone right, right. was in the original one. I think he was Machine Gun Joe. He was the arch rival of Frankenstein, played by David Carradine. But uh, no, the original one's the only one worth watching. I mean, they try. It's obviously kind of like I said, like a exploitation film from the seventies. A little hokey, a little silly. So I think there were some modern filmmakers that thought we could take that concept and make it into something real edgy, and uh, they just shouldn't have done that because it's not supposed to be that. Roger Corman wasn't that way. Right. It's, it's a great movie though. It's really a lot of fun. I've been watching it probably since I was twelve. Uh, <laughs> so one of my favorites. Well, I think. Actually. I think the. I- yeah, I mean, look, I think the anxiety of the government finding us exploitable is, you know, something that's that's permeated our society for a long time because oftentimes the rich do fi- feel and treat us like we are expendable. And I think that dovetailing off of your movie would be ni- my next movie, which is The Purge. The pur- oh, yeah. Which sort of yeah. takes, this, takes this general concept and sort of also dovetails from the, from, uh, the Infinity War saga and this idea that um, you, can, you can stimulate the society and lower crime – with a with a cleansing of sorts. So, in the premise of the um, of the purge, you have twelve hours every year to do whatever you want, with no with no ramifications. 
um, mostly murder and mayhem, right? You get it all out of your system, and then at the end of 12 hours, everyone goes back to pretending like they weren't just a bunch of murderous psychopaths. And you see a rich family uh, led by Ethan Hawke who you know, designs security system and what happens when, when that goes wrong, when, when, the, 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 when the crime comes to you. And I think it's relevant because what it really is showcasing is how a lot of people, especially neoliberals, will pretend that because they live in these affluent areas that crime is something that happens like over there. Right, like the purge is something that happens in Detroit, in Los Angeles, in New York, in these other areas, not in my nice neighborhood, not in my nice secured neighborhood, and um, and what happens when it comes to your doorstep when you're now part of the grime of the city? Uh, what would you do on purge day if you, if the purge was a thing? What would be your thing that you go do because it's legal? I don't think that I would ever live anywhere with the purge. No, I think. no, it's a hypothetical. If you if the, if you were in the, right, well, then, in the I, purge, what's the thing you would do? Like, oh, we can do whatever we I would want. Offer, I would offer I would offer shelter to anyone who that's could not that's have legal. It. That's not illegal. I mean, what illegal thing would you do? Because there's no well, law. Maybe it would be like Frankenstein. Maybe it would be like Frankenstein. And I'd take out some of these purgers myself. I'd be like, you, you ever see those articles about like how those, <laughs> you become uh, like a, a driving uh, those, those vigilante snipers. running people over? Yeah, yeah, like those <laughs> snipers in the in Africa. You know, they take out poachers. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'd and, be. I'd be like the guy, like sniping purgers who are trying to purge like innocent and poor so people. So as you're stalking the streets in your super death car going, you know, 40 miles an hour in residential areas running over the evil purgers, how can you tell which ones are like people trying to run away and which ones are like... <laughs> yeah, look, I think if yeah. I see someone chasing someone who's poor, I just take them out. Okay. <laughs> Which I think happens in the purge too. I don't remember. I remember the first one. I think I saw the second one. I'll tell look, you what I do. There's a lot of whole fireworks man i'd get me all the my favorite fireworks i'd shoot them right here in my front yard it'd be fun as hell and no one can say nothing because it's purge y'all that's true that's true all right what's your next movie uh, i'm gonna go with dune dune oh um, i was waiting when we were gonna get to huh? dune i said i was waiting for when we were like get to what dune. like it was eventually gonna come up on the show uh on an episode it is inevitable yeah, we have never uh We've never touched on Dune, uh, but man, it's, I think for me, that's um, one of the best stories of uh, the responsibilities of leadership. Uh, and, I, and I may be referring possibly to the book more than the movie at this point, but sure. I do like David Lynch's version of it. I think he did a really cool movie. It was really stylized and interesting. And he tried it. He tried his hardest. He didn't have final cut. You probably know the story. You know, he didn't, he didn't get right. to do what he wanted, uh, but the studios kind of took it over. But I think what they were able to put together and, the the different versions of it that have come out since uh not not the um sci-fi television version I, i've heard that's good i've never seen it but i did like uh lynch's dune it was a weird environment i've never seen a movie quite like it but to me um you've got this guy paul atreides who becomes uh a messiah type character because of a certain um almost like superpower abilities that he has he can kind of see the future he can control things with his people with his voice uh he's he's an aristocrat he's the son of a, of a duke uh but he's um they, he loses everything uh him and his mother and they have to join the uh the fremen this this tribe of uh traveling um uh, desert people and he has to take on their ways and become one of them and, and all the while though he's got this ability to kind of see the future and it's it's amazing because he can see all these possibilities. It's it's not too much unlike a real person that considers everything coming up in the future. He's just much, much better at it 
more attuned. Yes. I mean, and there there is some kind of supernatural prescience to it. But w- one of the big issues is that he keeps seeing this future where he's essentially a uh, jihadist dictator that's just taking over planets and his armies are just murdering anybody that's not a believer and he's just completely changing the society and the structure and everything with with you know with blood and um so he's the american government and he's trying to avoid this and that's that's what's such a cool story it's like what if you really had that power but you you know you really were that person that figurehead that person in front that's that's guiding everyone that's setting the story and setting the tone but you also realize that there's, you know, the people have a power of their own and they have their own desires for you and their own way that they want to go. And so you're fighting in this way because you've, you're trying to rescue people from what's definitely a horrible imperial oppression. And you need to, you know, you need to be the Messiah that they need and you need to get them out of it. But you also realize that you're creating something that's going to replace that, that could be even worse. And you're just trying right. hard not to, you know, not to go down that path. But there's so many forces pulling you to that path. That path that you don't want, well, the horrible jihad, the, the the horrible, violent future, and it's what what do you do? How do you manage that? How do you control it? Can you? Well, there's some argument that you can't. That absolute power corrupts absolutely. I've I've heard and, that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 part and parcel of that, I think, would be part of my last installment, which is the series House of Cards. Okay, I've never seen it actually. You know, I've heard the, it's good. Oh, it's, it's fan- well, the first three seasons are fantastic and. And uh, much like the fears of our protagonists from Dune, what you actually have is the reality, grounded in reality, of absolute power and corruption in the American system. Kevin Spacey, who prior to the sort of uh, uh, revelation of his his real-life creepiness and predatory nature, uh, plays a a Democratic minority whip uh, and his ascension to the presidency and the the corruption and the lies and the bribery and ultimately the murder that occurs on his on his path to amassing power. Oh, okay. So, it's very dark. Like- it's very well crafted. Uh, fantastic cast, and like maybe in the same ways that like Wag the Dog opened people's eyes to the possibility that maybe what the government tells us isn't always truthful. I think this is kind of a sure dramatized but also relatively more realistic than people give credit for view of how american politics operates yeah and with kevin spacey uh cast in there you know he's a bit problematic a bit handsy in real life um he was but not but not when the first season first came uh, out but but no i would say that 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 certainly reflects uh what a lot of politicians are like in real life too so maybe they they I, I unintentionally hired the right actor for the job, uh, though I I don't want to see him getting too much more work. He's kind of gross to me now, but um, that's uh, right, you know right. that, that is what it is. That's uh, but but that we've I mean we've been down this road before. What do you do with the uh, the art that's 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 out there when you find out that the people who made the art are uh, so um, so troublesome and it's a complicated exactly. issue. Exactly, it's it is very. Complicated. That's that's not the direction you wanted to go. I'm sorry. No, but that's okay. But it's a valid one because I think that. Uh, you know, it, it, it we'll we'll get back to that I think down the line as well. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess I have one. I guess I need to do one more. We always try to do five and five. And so, yeah, if you uh, have well, one. someone kind of threw this uh, at me last night at Barfly. Uh, how about Fantastic Planet? 
and uh, I didn't. I don't think I've ever I seen that. I didn't really know where they were coming from at the moment, but then I slept on it. and I started thinking about it. In fact, Fantastic Planet is a, a French animated film from the seventies about a uh, planet. It's it's after the fall of human civilization, and this alien planet of superior beings, truly superior beings, uh, uh, amazing beings, have found uh, our planet, and they've taken enough of us back to their planet. That we now exist. They're giants, by the way. They're huge, and so we now kind of exist on their planet in a uh, vermin style existence. Okay. We are, right, uh, yeah. you know, we. I don't know if you have a. I mean, with some modern times, uh, we don't really have this issue as much, but humans smell really bad. So that's one of the, you know, so imagine um, if there were no showers, if there was no soap, and we were all just kind of doing our best to survive. We lost our language. We've completely lost our language. We're just sort of like uh, pack animals, little pack beasts, you know, to them. Because the, these mm-hmm. beings live mm-hmm. for thousands of years. So we to them, we really resemble something more like rats or gerbils. Uh, we breed too much. We're out of control. Uh, but some of them, they're, you know, even the aristocracy, uh, they, their children will keep us as pets. And um, they have a lot of fun with us. They have these little collars that they put on us where they can kind of like a joystick. They can control us. And it's, but it's an amazing film with beautiful animation. But the reason I bring it up is because uh, eventually uh, the, the, the education does start to spread through the human populations, on even on this planet where humans are just speechless rat people that that fight and you know breed and stink um that that eventually uh one boy does start to learn the language and he's he's the pet of an aristocrat's son and he starts to learn the language and he finds a, a tribe of human rebels that have gathered their own language again and he starts teaching them the stuff he's learning by stealing these tutorial kind of kind of like a what we have now, like with uh, audiobooks and stuff, he's got this little like Rosetta well, Stone. No, not not Rosetta. No, he learned the language by uh, through the. But they've got these like headphones that teach the kids stuff. They teach a little less. Okay. Like, it's kind of neat. Right. They kind of predicted audiobooks uh, back in the or Audible and stuff because he's got these headphones that just have lectures and all kinds of stuff. And so his pet steals the headphones and takes them to this tribe that he finds out in the wild of uh, wild humans that are um, have a little more dignity than the others. We'll just say. And they start this uprising and they become uh, a a bit of a rebel force by learning through education, by learning about the uh, world that they're on, you know, this this world that's foreign, that's not our home world. And eventually they're able to convince the aliens that even though what they found when they visited Earth, this this horrible, you know, burned out uncivilized thing uh, is not us, man. And it's just, you know, there were some mistakes made because they, they do talk about remnants of our civilization and stuff. It's way in the future. Right. But they're eventually they're able to convince the, uh, the aliens that hey, we are actually kind of cool. If you don't treat us like vermin and a, uh, a, a mutual society uh, comes about, but point being it's um, it's, it's a film to me about the value of education. So <laughs> I think, that, so infusion, think that's something we really need right now. So, yeah, you're saying the infusion of education and culture into an environment that is devoid of that helped bring together a more peaceful society. Totally, and one where we could exist with people with 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 a race that's completely unlike us. And and even an, uh, a really good point is um, the education comes in the form of uh, what I what are essentially audio books. So if you're not if you can't afford to go to school, if you can't, there there are so many ways right now that there's so many resources you can tap, uh, just like in this movie. So. Um, 
you know, find your own way to get education. Uh, don't not, I'm not, no, no, I'm not talking about research it out, flat earth stuff. Be careful if you're going to go down that path. Yeah, be careful with YouTube, but, but yeah, it's a, it's a really cool film about, uh, the values of knowledge and education and, and what, what some of the possible consequences. If, if there is extraterrestrial life out there, who knows, they may just be waiting for us to fuck up bad enough that we, we, we'd make great pets as the porno for pyro song says. Questions from the corrupt. The first rule of punk rock asks, what do you make of the controversy of Joe Bob Briggs and his comments on Black Christmas? And do you think that that had anything to do with its poor opening? So Matt, before we answer this question, I want to I want to read the quotes so we don't misinterpret well, let's, them. Well, first, um, let's explain who Joe Bob Briggs is to a lot of our listeners. He's not, I don't think he's a, really a known name. He, he might be, but... Uh. He's a cult figure. So Joe Bob Briggs is a character uh, that has had. He's he's sort of the uh, the the male redneck version of Elvira. Yeah, he used yeah. to have a show called Monster Vision on TNT. He sort of he watches these movies and then the sort of these com- his commentary is sort of existentially cut in on breaks, you know. And and you know, he plays this character. He's a, he's a redneck from Texas who loves. Blood, boobs, and gore in that he's order. A, he's a real Texan. Uh, he's from Dallas, and uh, he's a journalist um, that created a character so he could start reviewing stuff that wasn't really appropriate for the Dallas papers, mainly horror films. He's big on drive-in theaters, and uh, the character Joe Bob is, like you said, yeah, Redneck Elvira. That's a really good way to put it. Um, but he's also done some really good work in the atheist community, uh, teaming up with the Trinity Church of Dallas to expose a lot mm. of, uh, like, false preachers you know prosperity preachers that kind of stuff like they've driven some people out of dallas that were just straight up corrupt and uh for a long time he was doing uh, aside from his thing as a uh, horror movie host he was doing this thing where he would show clips just goofy clips from evangelists called uh god stuff right, right. so he's, he's got a pretty cool uh, career he's been around for a while and now you can find him on shutter hosting the last drive-in and his, that's right and his real name is john bloom correct yeah john bloom yeah yes so so again I, I preface this by saying um, these were comments from the Joe Bob Briggs official Twitter. Now, whether this is Joe Bob Briggs or John Bloom speaking, or maybe both, or or maybe neither, uh, hard to say. But this is his quote. So he linked he linked an, uh, an article from bloodyscusty.com on the upcoming movie Black Christmas, and he said, "What I love about about directors from the 70s and 80s is that they had no political axe to grind, no message, no social justification for horror." It was just get a load of this great story. I don't want to be told how to watch a movie. Now, uh, there's several quotes within the article I'm bloody discussing. I, I, I urge people to read for yourself. But um, Black Christmas, the remake, the remake of the remake, uh, was directed by two female directors, April Wolf and Sophia Takal. And uh, Takal said, and this is just a snippet of it, but I think, think it's what he's kind of relate, referring to. At the beginning of the hashtag MeToo movement, it seemed like there was a really big reckoning, particularly in the film industry, but in lots of industries, where powerful men were being called out for the predatory behavior. And then in early 2019, I sort of felt, and I know a lot of women who, uh, and I know a lot of women who I know felt the creeping back of these predatory men into positions of power, and this feeling of like, oh, even when you've won the battle, you still have to battle this patriarchal structure. So it. Uh, again, whether it was Joe Bob Briggs or John Bloom, seemed to be taking it, uh, issue with, which is that the directors were were outwardly and ahead of the movie's release, sort of stating the political context of it. Oh, okay, all right. Well, I I think uh, 
that's okay that they're doing that. I think that now I saw, I don't know much about the film. I saw the trailer for it and it didn't interest me. Honestly, it looked like another, well, another it, cash grab remake. Yeah. It came out this weekend and it has done very, very poorly. I believe it's made like $4 million and it's open in weekend. It got a pretty negative review score. Yeah. So, so maybe now I, I will say this, that John Bloom is not Joe Bob Briggs and it is possible that he's just being a character, but, but that's not always a good excuse because some, I think he's, he's been that character long enough that people just think it's him. So that, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not the same as, um, Stephen Colbert back when he used to do really conservative things on the Colbert bear report, but we all understood that he was lampooning it. Uh, but, uh, what if, um, okay. Have you, have you, heard the criticism that uh, so, sometimes people um, sometimes when you have stuff that's kind of poor quality uh, film, video games, TV shows uh, there are creators that will try to associate their thing with a political movement to try to boost it a little bit I, to I'm, get people to ignore the fact that the quality is kind of poor so that they'll go, oh yeah, but it's a it's a good pro this movie or an anti this movie. I've but, never seen that directly, but I, I I follow your train of thought. I'm sure that's possible and even ha- happens from time to time. Yeah, maybe, so maybe that's some, had something to do with it, that maybe this film, because it's, it's doing really poorly, it's getting terrible reviews, and maybe he was kind of saying that, you know, hey, don't, don't try to sell me a bad movie by get, convincing me it's uh, I have to watch it because it has the same politics that I have. Well, I think he's, I mean, again, regardless of whether it's Joe Bob the character or John Bloom the man behind the character, I think he's fundamentally wrong. I think horror, especially the best horror, the most well-known horror, even Joe Bob's favorite movie, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I mean, these were all deeply rooted in political statement, whether they was, whether the directors talked about it ahead of their own film or not, I mean, that's undeniable because they have talked about it since. I mean, you know, George, George R. Romero, uh, I mean, all of these movies. You know, they all have Ro- some Roger sort of, Corman's Death Race 2000, one of Roger the most Cor- biting the- criticisms of totalitarian governments that our culture has ever seen. Right. So, you know, so I think the statement is just fundamentally wrong. Now, if, now he, where he was wrong is that he said directors from the 70s and 80s had no political axe to grind. That's just fundamentally false. You could look that up yourself and you can see it. Um, yeah, now yeah his, that's, that's not true. Yeah, there, there, tons of political stuff coming out of that uh, era. Most of it. Yeah. That, and especially during that time. Now, now, if, now, that being said, if if he had just said, you know, um, I prefer my, my horror movies to be horror movies and I don't really want to be told what the political you know, undercurrent is, that's fine. That's a choice. Um, whether or not that had anything to do with its poor opening, I think this, I think that if you were, if you agree with the idea that this is a, uh, a an SJW film or it's woke or whatever, uh, you probably weren't going to see it anyway. So nothing that Joe Bob or John Bloom might have said would have swayed you in that direction. Well, I, are you sure he was responding to that comment that you said that, that, that quote from her because it. The quote doesn't sound like it's saying, now go watch my movie for this reason. It sounds no, like it's, it's just addressing a real problem. Well, Because that's no, true, she, man. I mean, Weinstein's been out 100%. elbowing with the, with the bigwigs again. He's out in public. He's on camera. Well, and that's, and I think that's gross. ultimately where a lot of the controversy arose, which is that she's not saying, go watch my movie because it is common. I mean, she, she, is, she is defining her motivation behind making the movie. And why she feels like it's relevant in today's culture, which I think is perfectly reasonable. 
yeah. regardless of whether it was political or not. I mean, you ask a director why they're making this movie, very few of them are going to be like, because I, I felt like it. I mean, they have a reason behind it. It's, filmmaking is hard. You have to have a reason behind it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I think that people were upset that he criticized two young female filmmakers. Uh, and I think that his criticism is baseless. You know, so again, I, I understand why people were upset. But I think ultimately, I think that um, filmmaking is hard, man. And their hearts might have been in the right place. And uh, their instincts on why this movie is relevant today might have been in the right place. And um, they may have said the things that, that were just in their hearts. Why did you make this movie? Because I feel like this is relevant. And I think that there's no better reason to make a movie than because you feel like your movie has something to say in today's society. But it's got to be a good movie. I, and, I will say, though, I I after seeing that trailer, I seriously have my doubts that I would go see Black Christmas and come out with this um, newly informed view on feminism that I could share with people. I, it, it, it seems I mean, a look, bit far-fetched to say that this film has some kind of advocacy of a progressive movement. You know, it, it just, listen, it just I have sounds no, I a little unrealistic. I haven't yeah. seen it yet, so I, I can't comment one way or another other than... I will agree with you that the trailer looked like dog shit. <laughs> yeah, it's a man. PG-13 horror film. It's PG-13? Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's got a lot. Of, I mean, and and, and, and I, look, again, I haven't seen it, so I can't tusk rate it, but I'd give the trailer negative tusk. That trailer <laughs> I, I was mean, awesome, jo- awful. Jo- Joe Bob uh, probably shouldn't have, um, just because of what, the, the the political aura that they're trying to establish with this film that maybe shouldn't have been the one that he picked to criticize, but he does sound a bit to me like just a a guy that's like everybody is just tired of the fucking remakes, man. I Black Christmas is it's kind of like a Joe Bob classic. It's one that he shows on his his sure, last yeah. drive in, and and I I don't know. I th- I think if it was. I don't think he would be saying anything if this wasn't a remake of, of a film that's really like Joe Bob territory. You know hard what I mean? Hard to say. Hard to say. But maybe just like us, he's also tired of politics. And, and I understand that. But uh, to answer the question, do I think that his comments had anything to do with the poor opening weekend? I don't. I, no. I don't think that Joe Bob is big enough to have that kind of influence. I think. <laughs> no, he's not. Joe Bob, the tastemaker. What should we watch next? Joe Bob? No, yeah, no, one's, like maybe, no one's saying that. Maybe he's, for like... Like, you know, a small minority of people. But uh, I, I think yeah. ultimately, like, filmmaking's hard, man. You don't you, you, you could take your swing with the best intentions, and sometimes you just miss. And I, I wish the best success to April Wolf and Sophia Takal. Takal? Sophia Takal. And I, I hope that their next film is uh, equally has something to say and is successful. But it doesn't sound like um, this one was quite up to snuff. Well, I think if you want to do that, try an original story. That would help a lot. Uh, and as far as Joe Bob, uh, check out him and Diana Prince on uh, Shutter. Man, their last drive-in show is awesome. It's like you're watching horror movies, and then there's instead of commercial breaks, it cuts to them, and they're just making great comments and giving you all kinds of insight about how the film was made. And it's it's really fun, fun well, to watch. I believe with friends. there's I believe there's a new Christmas special out now. So that's right. That's right. After you guys are done listening to our podcast, put on the last drive-in, watch the Christmas special, give Joe Bob a little support, and and listen if you. Decide for yourself. Go watch Black Christmas. You know, we, we need more perspectives in filmmaking. So uh, hopefully it was it's not as bad as people are making it out to be. Maybe to find its own uh, cult following down the line. No one wishes anyone to, to fail in film. But uh, I think at the end of the day, the art has to speak for itself. And if it's successful, then it will be successful. And then if it's not, then maybe better luck next time. 
All right. Well, we, we hope we've given you a list of uh, films that can help guide you through this horrible, uh, crazy political uh, storm that we're in right now. Uh, check out what do we got? The Purge, uh, Pink Flamingos, Wag the Dog, American Horror Story, Joker, Death Race 2000. Uh, Lots of good things. Us? Was this why you say us at the bottom? Uh, I changed my mind. Oh. I, I, I slugged <laughs> in House of Cards. We're not reading from a script, though. That's fine. No, not at all. And, and, and check us out next week because I believe we'll be doing a Christmas episode. Maybe pick one of our favorite horror Christmas movies to review. I don't know. We haven't decided. It'll be, we'll do something special. We'll put Santa hats on. It'll be great. We'll give each other gifts. Yes, and we'll give you the gift. The gift of the Grindhouse Podcast. You're listening to the Grindhouse Podcast on the Guillotines for the Rich Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now on Spotify.